if I initially started talking about jam, as in strawberry jam, raspberry jam, the sort of jam you put on your toast, you might be a bit confused about what I'm on about. Why am I talking about jam? The reason I'm talking about it is because this is a mental health podcast and making jam was one of the things that actually got me through when I was ill. It was one of my coping mechanisms. Now, I'm not telling you all that making jam is going to help you, but if you do listen to the podcast, you may be able to hear different ways that young people from York manage their mental health, what they've been through and where they are now. These are real, real people's experiences and touch on some sensitive topics that you may actually find triggering. And although Chat Chit is run by York Mind, the views expressed are of the individuals that are being interviewed. The aim of the podcast is to try and break down some of the stigma around talking about mental health and accessing different services. And you may be able to resonate with some of these experiences, or you might just want to have a little listen. Either way, my name is Chris and welcome to Chat Chit. My name is Chris and welcome to Back to Chat Chit and like we do, we start with a check-in. Um, my check-in today um, is that I'm actually, I've been feeling pretty anxious actually recently. I don't know if it's because of work or whether I'm just a bit stressed out with busyness or different elements of things, but I'm okay. It's usually just before work I get stressed. <laughs> Not when I'm actually at work, but um, but no, that'll be my check-in today. Today we have Olivia on the podcast. Hello, Olivia. And, Hello. Um, do you have a check-in today? Uh, yeah, so I've been quite busy with my job. I've got six weeks left, so I'm trying to tie it all together. And I guess my job, it's in Leicester, and I've formed a lot of friendships there, a bit of a life there, so I'm thinking about having to leave that and move to a different city in July. What so is it that you do? So I'm working at PepsiCo as a product developer. It's not as cool as it sounds. Not as cool as it sounds. <laughs> well, it, it maybe it depends what you're into. I'm going back to university in summer to do my final year in food and nutrition. So I'm looking forward to that, but I'll be sad to leave the life I've made for the past year. I was going to say, so you're at Newcastle University. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that you're studying food and nutrition? Food and nutrition, yeah. Okay, fair. Um, and this is just like what? the year in industry yeah so it's just like a 12 month placement so like everyone with on who has been on the podcast uh, olivia is from york so olivia when did you first realize that you weren't feeling quite right i think in year 12 so i was 16 or so and don't think i was obviously unwell and i think i was just coasting along for a few months and then quite a significant moment for me um, when I started self-harming. And in my mind, it wasn't a significant issue. I think I thought it was... Why did you not think it was a significant issue at the time? I think because it was managing my emotions, how bad I was feeling. I didn't see the actual self-harm as a negative thing. I saw it more the way to relieve what I was feeling. Um, I'm actually next week one year free of self-harm. So I'm going to buy myself a cake. Absolutely, absolutely cake to first birthday of. I know. <laughs> um, see, this is the thing, like, I've self-harmed as well before, and, and it does, it is, it, it is a way that people use to cope. Why, why do people find it cope? Because it gives you that release, and it, but ultimately it's tying in them negative sort of feelings with kind of a negative action. That's why it's so important to try and find the positive ways that you can kind of get that release, whether it be through exercise, whether it be through, I don't know, some people find cooking and baking a release, like I, like I did it with jam, here we go on the podcast. So you, you were coaching along in school, 
I referenced the word coasting because were you actually coasting or were you just trying to get by? Because if you if you had started self-harming and didn't recognise it as a thing that was bad, were you actually struggling more than you thought? I mean, it's hard to say. I think there were signs from other people. So I think, because this was the start of sixth form and before the start of sixth form, I'd been quite like academically very good and mm. wanted to study medicine and had been my attention span was always really good but I noticed and I had teachers notice and other people notice I wasn't getting very good grades I wasn't paying attention I was being a lot more disruptive in lessons mm. and things like that so I think even though to me the signs weren't there that I was struggling they were quite clear to everyone else and looking back at it quite clear now in hindsight you can mm-hmm. like like you said, not assess it, but you can now almost realise what it was that you were doing or that you go, actually, that wasn't the Olivia that other people knew or whatever at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so who was it that you reached out to? So you said you talked to friends, but who was it that you were like, actually, this is a... Or did someone say to you, you need to go somewhere or do something about it? I think initially, so I had two friends who knew mm-hmm. and maybe a few months in, they approached me and they were like, Olivia, really think you should go to the doctors. You need to talk to someone about this. Like, we're really worried about you. And I remember at the time I took that as, I don't know what, but I went to buy myself a whiteboard and I just, pla- <laughs> I just planned out my days better. I'm not really sure what I took from that conversation. But I guess what I'm trying to say is the first time someone offered help, didn't really take it. I didn't even understand that I thought I needed help. I yeah. thought I just needed to organise my life more. <laughs> you decided, you know what? Somebody told me to get some help with my mental health and it was a trip to Ryman's uh, to go and get I've a And I still whiteboard. got the whiteboard. You it's a great the... whiteboard. <laughs> Do you now look at that whiteboard and go, why the hell did I buy that whiteboard on that day when... And I tell you, it didn't even help me organise my life. I don't think I really used it. <laughs> Fair. So after that, then what happened? I think after that, I do remember it was maybe a couple of months later, I'd been trying to hide the self-harm marks on my arms by wearing long sleeves or covering clothing. And I think my parents had seen just by chance maybe my sleeve had rolled up and my mum confronted me about it and her reaction wasn't particularly soothing or reassuring at all but from that point on I was forced to go to the doctors. So you were forced to go to the doctors was this like a GP? Yeah I just went to a GP. And what was that? Um, I remember feeling really awkward about it quite. Because I guess you obviously I don't know you didn't feel like you wanted to go if you if you were told by your mum to go to the doctors then you were like what would you want me to do I don't know I'm guessing I remember yeah I went there and I just remember just saying everything that I'd been feeling or experiencing just very matter-of-factly I was quite confused I had to be there Hmm. um and then her reaction I think the GP's reaction was just to try mindfulness maybe I don't think there was a lot that came out of it but she kept me on her radar which was good Mm. so she was like come back in another month so I think she'd printed out for me like self-help resources do you find them any good to be honest not really I can see that they might help somebody but I think equally at the time because I didn't see that I had a problem I didn't want to get better that I wasn't going to attempt any of the self-help I I completely resonate with this because I I completely understand this because I think a similar sort of thing happened to me and uh, well my parents were pretty brilliant with me about it I think like they were their ace uh, but even then I recognized that I felt pretty damn awful for a while before 
And then all these things at the time were popping up about mental health and it, there was resources everywhere. But I didn't look at them. Like, I knew I needed to, but I didn't because I hadn't had the conversation openly and honestly about what I'd done or like how I was feeling at the time. And I don't think you can start... I don't know, this may, obviously it's going to be different for different people. I think it's really difficult for you to start using coping strategies like mindfulness, like whatever you do, go for a walk, without understanding what it is that you might be feeling at the time. I don't know. That, that's personally me. I don't understand why I'd need to use mindfulness or meditation if I didn't think there was anything wrong. I think for me, something that helps is like someone offers a solution like mindfulness, explaining why that would help, I guess. But when someone says just do mindfulness, if I don't understand how it's going to help me, I'm a lot more reluctant to do it. So when do you think you did decide, actually, I am struggling, that this is the point where I need to get some help or at least admit to yourself? I think at the time I was in a relationship that wasn't very good for me Mm. emotionally or sexually. And while I was in that relationship, I didn't see myself having these problems. And I think as toxic as it sounds, I dissociated the way I was feeling with, I guess, you know, when you watch like TV shows, when people are in really toxic relationships, mm. but they romanticize them. I think I was in a bit of like this love is pain situation. And it wasn't until I got out of that relationship. Um, that you started to go actually it's not just the relationship the relationship that didn't necessarily help it brought to the forefront what you were actually feeling prior yeah and when we ended don't know the exact time scale but I think I went on antidepressants maybe a week week or so later and I think that's when I'd started to take it seriously and was like I'm not well like I need some help and I need to start getting more support so at the time, during this whole yeah. time frame, I guess it's when people start going to like parties and drinking. Yeah. So I would drink an awful lot. And that's something that was really associated with self-harm for mm-hmm. me and bringing up negative emotions. And then while I was on the antidepressants about three weeks in, and I did end up in A&E. So I guess even at that point, I still wasn't taking it seriously as I should have. I've actually made a conscious effort. Like I'm 24, I've been to university, I've drank at university. I've tried to have more of a conscious effort to cut down on my drinking because I really recognise it the next day and days leading after that I do feel, I feel more tired, I feel like my structure in my day goes, I start eating worse and I just feel like the anxiety of... <laughs> After a night out, where I may have drank a little bit too much, it is awful. I will text so many people saying, was I an idiot last night? What, what did I do? Like, was I, was I being annoying? I'd be like, what are you on about, Chris? Like you were, but that whole next day, I'm just like, oh no. Yeah, sometimes I think the highs of that drinking evening are even worth the day after or the day after that even. Um, so after the went to A&A, you then what happened did you just was did you was there more professional help or what so yeah when I went to A&E I had to so my mum I was at someone's 18th birthday party yeah apologies to them um and then my mum <laughs> my mum had to pick me up and take me to A&E yeah and I saw I think it was one of these psychiatrists who was on call yeah. got assessed by them they deemed me okay enough to go home yeah and at this point, we're talking July now, so there's a whole summer holiday between mm-hmm. July to September when school starts again. Um, so that summer was a bit depressing. I had to work in the Cornish Bakery. don't know if you've seen it in town. Um, serving pasties like eight hours a day. And I was on a different antidepressant. And I was going to, I don't know what you actually call it. I think it's all, but it's like the mental health hospital, the one in Boven Park. I don't know. I don't know. 
I was just, I was just going to have regular check-ins with a psychiatrist and their team and it was okay so I you weren't an inpatient you were an outpatient outpatient yeah okay so you're going to get regular check-ins with psychiatrists and were they helpful what yeah I found it good I think was it like counseling sessions or was it more just like check-ins of how you're doing I'm not really sure what the difference is I guess mm. they just provided a space for me to talk and I guess more importantly than that to learn to talk because mm. up until then I don't really think I had and I think that was a really valuable skill regardless of how far I came with them I learned those skills that allowed me to open up for years down the line do you find it easier to open up now because of it I went through a phase so after this saga I became Uh, extremely open yeah probably I don't know if you can be too open but maybe I was even too open and I think now I've pulled back a bit I think I needed that I I guess at times it's it's quite liberating I think at times once you go you know what this is my story this is what I am like this is me and my mental health and if you like it then fine if you don't I don't really care like because of that essence that it's been kind of a shadow for you for, for ages and you've not accepted it and then you come to accept it and you go do you know what it's almost a little bit of relief off your shoulders if you like that mindset just changes a little bit it doesn't mean that you can't pull back and do you know what you've had that experience of like being open and honest but knowing who you can talk to or knowing the people that you can then speak freely in an open space with I think is the becomes the more important thing because you don't need to talk to it about to everyone about it and I do become doing a podcast about it but <laughs> <laughs> but but having the certain people or the certain friends or family in your life or not even that, it could be somebody, Joe Bloggs, who you just know from a youth group or Joe Bloggs from your football club, who every now and then you just have a little check-in. Go, How are you doing? And I think it's important. Neither way is wrong. You can be open as you like or close in some scenarios and not in others. Like, it really just depends. It work, if it works for you, it works for you. Yeah, exactly. I think that's something I've learned is because at times I've found myself thinking seeing a friend struggling and wondering why they don't want to take my advice per se hmm. or why what I'm saying isn't actually helping them but it's <laughs> but like then, you said but then, but then you take you take yourself back to when your friend said do you think you need to get some help and you decided I'll go buy a whiteboard get a whiteboard yeah it's like everyone's like coping mechanisms and journeys are so different what do you, you do on a day like is there things on a daily basis which you go do you know what this really helps me or this is this is ways that I cope I think for me exercise is the biggest thing mm-hmm. that helps me what do you do um I would so I was a rower for like six years so I was training up to 11 times a week mm-hmm. so it was very intense and then when I stopped doing that I needed to find I guess something that gave me the same effects mm-hmm. but I didn't want to compete and I've just found going to the gym is best for me because it's on my own time inside. I think I actually saw you in the, in the gym the I other week. I think I saw you and I was like, was it him? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you can choose the amount of time you're in the gym and what you do and if you want to talk to people or if you don't want to talk to people. And I really enjoy it, the gym because, t- to be fair, I've only started going in the last year or so particularly over winter like sport is so important to me like I play cricket at, like three times a week and so when it's summer fine I can crack on and it, like I can do it unless it's raining but the gym allows in especially in winter to get into that routine of you do this that and a set routine of this is what you do and it can become like addictive at times but if it helps you after and it does get you in that regular routine like 
who who might t- say like exercise? I mean, you can. O- I'm just babbling here, but you can, I think I think you can over exercise, and I think you can do too much and get obsessive with it. But is that you, or would you say that you've got a healthy relationship with the gym? I mean, I think at times I've been a bit over obsessive with sport. No, so, There's definitely times where I would like get up in the morning, do the park run 5k, and then I would go and do two hours of rowing, and then I would go straight to the gym. But it's probably not that relevant to mental health, but I did then get injured and then I mm. couldn't do that anymore because I was just exercising, exercising, exercising. And you've gone too far with it <laughs> and then you can't do the things that, yeah. ha- that helps you cope and manage your emotions in some way. <laughs> exactly. Other than exercise, is there anything else that you use or do? I mean, one thing I've been doing recently, mm-hmm. so when I say recently, I mean in the past month because I've found myself the past year struggling with self-esteem and I probably wouldn't go as far to say social anxiety Mm. but symptoms of that and I started a therapy called compassion focused therapy and I've only done a few sessions but it's really resonated with me and I think I've seen connections with not being self-compassionate. What is compassion focused therapy so it's a little bit more alternative i would say do you do it on your own so i do it over zoom okay practitioner from anxiety uk because you get student discounts oh cool it's actually really good right okay um what i'm trying to say here i think it depends from person to person but for me it's just been about not being such a perfectionist or getting rid of those perfectionist traits and to overcome self-criticism that's yeah I think I think I probably need a little bit of that because <laughs> it, it's so hard because I think when you do I do mean well in every in I think everything that I do I think I mean really well and I want to do well in my job I want to do well playing cricket on a Saturday it does great on me when somebody doesn't see me in the light that I want to be seen and that is annoying because then that becomes like an inner thing where you go oh I'm not being as good as I should be or mm. but you can't be perfect all the time like this is I, I and I'm and this is where I say on the podcast if you could give some advice to yourself what would it be I am terrible at taking my own advice because I will ignore myself <laughs> because I go through the thing of oh actually not good enough to give my own advice to myself but then someone else takes it so I think I know what I should do yeah I'm not gonna do it but like, I should do it but yeah equally like I can easily put my like myself in my friend's shoes and say what they should do but but you can't put yourself in your own shoes for some reason i think it doesn't apply to me <laughs> no exactly um so the 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 compassionate focused therapy with anxiety uk how long are the sessions so they're an hour each and they're over zoom they're over zoom how do you find that i've had a few rounds of therapy over zoom just from lockdown and stuff and i don't mind it i think it works well i think it depends what you're trying to get out of it of course. Yeah. But it, it lets me be flexible. It lets me have sessions during my nine to five. Although I don't tell my boss. She doesn't know. Um, yeah. And then there's homework each week. So she'll set me a few tasks to do. So for example, this week, I've been trying to notice situations where I've taken a very negative view. Like I'm noticing a negative more than the positive. And then once I've written them down on paper, for example. Are these negative things towards yourself or just generally? Yeah, so towards myself. So okay. it'll be a situation and I think my thinking is probably quite biased. So I'll take out of a situation that I'm not good enough or I should have said something else. Mm. They didn't like that. Whereas I think most people, or you should take out the conversation what actually happened to say. Rather than overthinking, yeah. oh no, I shouldn't have said that or I should have said it in this way. And when actually most of the time it's probably blown over their heads and they haven't even realised. Yeah. So, I mean, if you are going to this therapy now, so you still... So it's 
started back in sick form when you were sick getting back then. Mm-hmm. And it was self-harm and depression, which you were struggling with. And then now you say you've, with Anxiety UK, is that, is it, would you say it's more anxiety that you like struggle with now? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, especially in the past year or so, I've had minimal, even if no, symptoms of depression mm-hmm. and urges to self-harm are so small, mm. which is you think that's been built on because of the fact that you're more open with it and you've found more healthy coping mechanisms? I think over the years, trial and error, so I know what my triggers would be for mm-hmm. self-harm. So, for example, I'm no longer a gin drinker. Um, you're no longer a gin drinker? Well, it's like a sort of myth, isn't it, that gin makes you cry? People always say it. Yeah. And I just haven't drunk gin in a year now, and it could be placebo, or it could be true, but... Placebo still work exactly. most of the time. <laughs> they still work. Do you have any other triggers that you now stay away from? Um, yeah, so I'm glad I could talk for hours, but like, for example, unhealthy dating patterns or something. Yeah. I did a lot in second year of uni, I think, because of lockdown and it was an easy way to meet people. Hmm. Um, so I was dating quite a lot and I was dating people that really weren't very good for me and actually being able to step out of that and realise um, that that was a bit of a self-sabotage behaviour. Yeah. See, that's the problem with things like apps on... You can meet a wide range of different people and you can, loads of people have met and gone on dates and met their partners or whatever on it. Also, there is a, like like you said, an element of self-sabotage where if you don't end up swiping on one person and you don't, and you feel rejected instantly. And I think there is a nature that you're not good enough for this, that or the other because of the app. And it's like, it is so difficult, particularly in like a pandemic where you can't go and actually meet people in a normal environment. And so I, I can appreciate that completely. So staying off the apps, staying off gin. (laughs) And I think this year I've got amazing housemates, which I think that's just luck. Last year, I think with the pandemic. Are these housemates in Leicester? Yes. And is everyone you live with, are they all... So we're all placement students. Okay, cool. Two of them I actually knew from Newcastle, which also got the same placement as me. Oh, man. But we all got on really, really well. Um... And I've got a supportive boyfriend, a lot of other people in Leicester who I just recognise are good for me now. Yeah. I think it's really important to find the people who are good for you but and stay away. I think it comes in tandem with staying away from the people that you know are not good for you. And they both work, I think, just as effectively mm-hmm. as each other. I guess it's not always possible to stay away from people who aren't. And I have that with a few friends who mm. I love a lot as friends, but I know that they're not always best for my mental health. And... I guess it's setting those boundaries for people. I think that's important. For, like, we've been doing, when we check the podcasts and different things, we obviously have trigger warnings, and we're going to put on, like, like you'll see at the bottom of this video, the video, this podcast, that it will have trigger warnings towards self-harm, depression, potentially alcohol. Um, but there aren't trigger warnings on Instagram. There aren't trigger warnings on TikTok. There aren't trigger warnings when you watch the news a lot of the time. So I think, like you said, sometimes you can't avoid it. I think that's really important to understand for a lot of people that building up that resilience to triggers is important, but also setting them boundaries of where what's good for you, what's bad for you, and knowing when to take yourself out of a situation, but also knowing when sometimes you need to be in that situation and not relish your triggers, but also be exposed to them and be able to cope with it. Mm-hmm. And hence why I'm getting better at sitting in a restaurant. In, on one of the first podcasts, I talk about um, how I actually hate... Uh, like waiting for the bill and ordering in restaurants okay. it's too much like I can't can't stand it 
but I need to expose myself to it because I'm not going to go my whole life without going in a restaurant ever again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that in some respects allows you to then go, right, actually nothing bad's going to happen in that scenario. Sometimes you may worry about it, but it's usually the worry beforehand which is worse than the actual situation. Yeah, I think those things are easier said than done. I think it does take a lot to then go and expose yourself to something. Oh, completely. Most things are easier said than done. Mm. Saying that you're going to do mindfulness is a hell of a lot easier than sitting down and actually going, right, let's be mindful in the situation where I can see that kettle, I can see that fairy liquid, I can see that bowl over there. I can smell not much because I've got a blocked nose. But... <laughs> But that sort of thing, like it's much easier to say you're going to do something than actually do it. But getting into them routines and habits allows you to then be able to use them coping coping mechanisms effectively. So looking back, is there any advice that you would give to yourself when you were 16, when you first started recognising or first started struggling in a way that you hadn't before? I think, simple as it sounds, just to be more self-compassionate and to stop beating myself up about feeling very depressed um, and not staying in toxic situations whether that's with a partner or mm. a friend and just to set stronger boundaries I guess with people in situations giving yourself like you said self-compassion giving yourself almost a bit of a break mm. I understand that completely just as we finish the podcast um, just going to do a check out how was that? yeah I think it was good I was a bit apprehensive before there's a lot of the stuff we spoke about I don't think I spoke about it for a good year or so with anyone I was a bit worried I wouldn't even remember <laughs> remember what to say but no I feel good good I'm glad uh, do I have a check out? do I have a check out? yeah nah I'm alright I'm alright my anxiety has uh, subsided a bit so I'm okay cool um, well Olivia thank you very much for coming on the podcast today uh, this has been Chat Chip for any more support and services you can direct towards the Your Mind website and I will catch you next time thank you very much